0: in a series uh, called uh, The Blessed Life. Everybody say The Blessed Life. The Blessed Life. That's what we're talking about. How many of you want to have a blessed life? Anybody want to have a cursed life? I, th- I think it's, it's just kind of obvious, right? We, we want to have a blessed kind of life. And Jesus told us, in fact, over in Matthew 5, he had a whole bunch of blessings, remember? Blessed are you, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who mourn. And and he he has a whole way of how to have a blessed life. But then another one that maybe we don't talk about so much is actually over in Acts 20, verse 35, where Jesus said it is more blessed to what? To give than to receive. That's kind of been our our key verse, our key thought for this three-part series. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And the question that I put before us last time was, do we believe this? Do we really believe it is more blessed to give than receive? It's easy to give it lip service, but do we really believe it? In fact, what does it mean? We really need to to reflect a little more deeply, I think, on what does it even mean when Jesus says it is more blessed to give than to receive. Last time we emphasized the fact, of course, we need to receive. Jesus is not saying you always need to be giving, 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 giving and never receiving. Of course, we need to receive. Of course, we have needs. Jesus never taught a poverty kind of gospel. You know, some people over the centuries, maybe very few today because we're more into the prosperity gospel, not into the poverty gospel today. But uh, there's some who have had a poverty gospel message where they said, you know what, if you were really spiritual. If you were really mature in your faith and really following Jesus, you would just live in poverty. You would be really, really poor. You would just keep giving everything away because money is bad. Possessions are bad. And you would just live in poverty and give everything away, a poverty kind of gospel, if you're really trying to follow Jesus. Jesus never taught a poverty gospel. But neither did he teach a prosperity gospel, at least in the the modern American popular sense of the term, prosperity gospel, where life is all about you consuming more and more and acquiring, getting more and more, bigger, bigger, more, more, acquire, consume. Jesus didn't teach that either. And you'll see even on television, some of the the prosperity preachers that that they'll, they'll, you know, you need to sow this seed into my ministry. You give me a dollar and God will give you back 10. You know, you give me a hundred dollars and God will bless you with a thousand dollars, but you need to give your hundred, you know, and and I always scratch my head and go, if you really believe that, that that's a formula for prosperity, then how about you give me the hundred dollars and let God give you the the thousand dollars, right? But, but they, they they never quite operate it that way. So we need to be we need to be wise on these things. Jesus did not teach a poverty gospel. He wants you to receive. He wants you to have your needs met. He he wants you to do well. But he didn't teach a prosperity gospel in the modern American sense, where it's just about you know oh you can get richer and richer and richer and more and more and more and achieve and uh, acquire and consume and, and it's all about you. Jesus didn't teach that either. What Jesus taught was a generosity gospel. It's where your heart is so touched by God's grace and God's Spirit and that you become just so grateful, so full of gratitude for who God is and how He has saved you from your sins and given you eternal life. And you you feel so blessed to even know God. And to have him in your life, that you, it just flows out of your heart this generosity, this compassion. And it's not driven by guilt. It's not driven by a, well, I have to do this in order to get that. It's not driven by, you know, ego needs or trying to impress people or anything like that. It's driven by grace. And you're just generous and you're compassionate. The more you understand grace and the goodness of God, in your life. So this is what we've been talking about. Not a poverty gospel, not a prosperity gospel, but a generosity gospel. God wants you and me to, to be generous kind of people. So when Jesus says in Acts 20, 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive, what he's saying is that the blessed kind of life comes when you are so grateful about how good God is and how he has saved you, forgiven your sins, and placed you in His family and given you eternal life and fills you with His Spirit and gives you His guidance, When the more you get into that and understand it, you become so grateful that it begins to transform your perspective and your mentality and your attitudes and you just see life differently. And instead of going through life where it's all about you acquiring, acquiring, consuming, consuming, it's more about loving, it's more about caring, it's more about compassion, it's more about being on mission for Jesus in his kingdom and loving on people. And you give and you care and you give rather than going through life with take, take, take. That's what he means when he says it is more blessed to give than receive. Now, in the first message, we looked at Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus talks about two treasures, treasure on earth, treasure in heaven, two perspectives, You know, the healthy eyes, how do you see things? And from a generous point of view or a stingy point of view, two masters, either God or money, you're driven by one or the other, two emotions, faith or fear. Remember in Matthew 6, Jesus talks about worry, don't worry about your life, what you eat, drink, wear, all that stuff. Two emotions, faith or fear. And then one solution, Matthew 6.33, seek first His kingdom. He's talking about our priorities Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be given to you as well. So we unpacked that a couple of weeks ago. And now today I want us to just revisit Matthew 6 very, very briefly. And we're going to turn over to 1 Timothy 6 in a, in a second. But when Jesus talks about where our treasure is and, and, and he says, don't don't store up treasure on earth, but treasure in heaven. And then verse 21. In fact, let's put it on the screen. And and look at this now. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Read it with me, will you? Let's say it. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Notice how Jesus links our heart with our treasure. You can tell a lot about a person's heart by how they manage their treasure. Okay, this is what Jesus is saying. And now reflect on this a little bit. You and I, we tend to reverse the parts of this sentence, don't we? We tend to say, where your heart is, there your treasure will be. And it's true enough, and you can apply that well, but, but that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. That's why he said, be careful where you store up treasure, because, because treasure has a magnetic pull to it. And if you start storing up your treasure in a certain place, it has a way of having a magnetic pull upon your heart. So Jesus is saying, be careful how you manage your treasure, because what you do with your treasure, where your treasure is, it has a way of getting your heart to to go that way and to focus on it. It, it, So money is like fire. Fire is a good thing. We need fire for cooking and warmth and and all the wonderful things that, that, that fire is good for. But fire is also dangerous, right? And we need to manage fire well and use it in, in appropriate ways. That, so money is not bad. We need money. When We all want more money. But, but we have to be careful that, that money, our treasure, has a way of taking our hearts away from, from Christ and His kingdom. So Jesus warns us, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He ties our treasure in our hearts. So today I want us to talk today about our hearts. I want, I want to talk about three blood clots that, that clog the flow into your heart. Three blood clots, three obstacles that block the flow of generosity in your life and in my life. We all have this struggle: three blood clots, three obstacles. That, that stop the flow of generosity. The, the first blood clot is excuses. We all have our excuses, right? Why we can't be generous, why we can't give. And we have probably a thousand excuses. But one of the biggest excuses is, I'm not rich. I'm not rich. Generosity is for rich people. Let the rich people give. Let the rich people take care of things, right? I'm not rich. You're not rich. Let, you know... Let the rich people. So what we do is when we come across Bible verses that talk about the rich, we go, well, that's not me. (laughs) Doesn't apply to me. So let's look at one of these verses. 1 1 Timothy 6, beginning in verse 17. Let's read 17, 18, and 19, and then we'll comment on it. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich. See, God wants you to be rich, but be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. So he's telling us, you know, be rich in good deeds, be generous, willing to share. Verse 19, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves. Sounds like Jesus, right? Over in Matthew 6. In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Now I bet you're tempted, as we all are, to to look at this, verse 17, command those who are rich, well, not me, (laughs) don't have to forget that verse, so what he's talking about today doesn't apply to me, let's just all go home, right? Because this verse is all about those rich people. Have you ever grappled with the definition of rich? Well, what's the definition of rich? How much do you have to have before you're considered rich? Actually, Gallup poll conducted. Uh, they conducted a poll to, to see how different socioeconomic groups defined rich. And it's fascinating. You know what they found? No one thinks they're rich. No one. Each person said that rich was basically double of whatever they had at that time. In other words, when they interviewed people who earned $30,000 a year, the people who earned $30,000 a year generally defined rich as someone who made $60,000 a year. And then they asked people who made $50,000 a year, what does rich mean? And they basically said, well, people who make $100,000. And in fact, Money Magazine did a similar study and they found that people who had two and a half million dollars, they tended to define rich as somebody who had five million dollars. You see? You see, my point is that rich is a fuzzy concept. Rich is a moving target. None of us thinks we're rich. In fact, the closest definition we can get to rich is somebody who has at least twice what I have then you're rich. If you have more than twice what I have, then then you're rich. I'm not rich, but but you are. See, So so none of us tends to take Bible verses like this seriously. We brush it away. Command those who are rich in this present world to be generous. Well, not me. I'm not rich. Doesn't apply to me. Did you realize that if you make over $37,000 a year, you are in the top 4% of wage earners in the world? Isn't that incredible? If you make more, than, and and I I dare say just about everybody here, if you're an adult, if you're working and all that, you you, you make more than $37,000 in in a year. You are in the top 4% of wage earners in the whole world. I think that qualifies us all as being rich. So if you happen to ever complain about your cell phone coverage, that means you're rich. The fact that you even have a cell phone. If you you have these debates and, oh, my goodness, what what are we going to do for vacation this year? That's a rich person's debate. Where are we going to have vacation this year? You may have seen articles in the news lately that church attendance is down in most churches across America. Have you seen that? I mean, it's been on the news all all over the place newspapers even on even on the nightly news it, about how church attendance is down all across america variety of reasons for it but what, one of the reasons is sociologists say is, is that that the economy is doing so well especially for those who tend to, on the poor economic levels and, and also the middle class, they're doing so well in general that now they have money to do things that they weren't able to do before. So instead of going to church on Sunday, which is basically free, they now have money to get their kids involved in travel teams. And they spend hundreds of dollars, maybe thousands of dollars taking their kids in travel teams and going all over the place instead of going to church on Sunday. Or, or they go on vacations more frequently. And, and and they do things like that. In fact, they've come up with this term called affluenza. Affluenza, not influenza, but affluenza, where people now in general are, are are they're tending to be more affluent. They have more money and more discretion. And so this is what Jesus is talking about here: that that you need to be careful with your money because it has a way of being a magnetic pull on your heart and taking you away from Christ and his purposes in your life. Now, are you feeling good and guilty right now? You know, know, I I hope you're not feeling guilty. I am not trying to make anybody feel guilty. And I understand when we talk about this kind of thing, it's, it's easy to maybe fall into, oh, he's trying to strong arm me. He's trying to make me feel guilty, so I'll give or whatever. Not at all. What my goal is, is to help you and I realize that we should be grateful. We, are, we should be so full of gratitude. And as we look into the gospel, in fact, later in the service here at the end of the message, we're going to have communion together. And communion, the Lord's Supper, is all about pointing us to the cross, pointing us to Jesus and His grace in our lives and His goodness in our lives. And as that transforms us, it changes our perspective. And we start to live more generously, more outward focused. And so, so that, that's what we're talking about this morning. I don't want you to feel guilty because Jesus died on the cross to take away your guilt and your shame. He wants you to go through life feeling grateful and, and thankful with, with, with a compassionate and caring and generous kind of mindset. So don't use that excuse, well, I'm not rich. I can't give. No, we, we all can in, in some way or another. So because this excuse, I'm not rich, can't be generous, can't give, it's like a blood clot that blocks the flow of generosity in our lives. Another uh, another blood clot is consumption assumption. And and, and Andy Stanley said this, and I got this from his book. It's a great book, How to Be Rich. And it's, it's a great book on what Jesus and Paul have to say about Uh, money management. You, You might want to read it. But he has this term in his book called Consumption Assumption. And it basically, the consumption assumption says, the more I consume, the happier I'll be. And let's be real honest. You and me, we tend to have this mentality, especially here in America. The more I consume, the happier I'll be. The way to a blessed life, the way to a good kind of life is it's about me consuming more and more. That's the consumption assumption. And it's really nothing new. Look at what Paul says back in First Timothy 6. Uh, just kind of scroll back to verse 6. He, he says, but godliness, 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. How did you come into the world? We came into this world naked, right? With nothing. Guess what? We're going out the same way. I mean, hopefully somebody will put some clothes on us and put us in the box or in the little jar or whatever they're going to do with us now. But, but you're, you know, you're, we came in with nothing. I, I have done many funerals, and I have never seen a, a U-Haul behind the hearse. Okay? You're going to go out with nothing. So he says, we, we brought nothing into the world. And we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich. Now, okay, so he's talking He's talking about those who want to get rich. And he's talking about the consumption assumption here. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, notice he doesn't say money is the root of all evil. You know, money is good. We all need money. We all need possessions. We all need stuff. We all have needs. We all need to receive, have our needs met. God made us this way. It's a good and beautiful world that's created for us, and we're physical beings. we We understand all that. But the love of money, where we start to get our perspective distorted, that is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Paul is talking about greed here. This this is the consumption assumption. And, And Andy Stanley puts it this way. He says, Jesus' definition of greed was simply the assumption that everything placed in my hands is for my consumption. Everything that I get is for me to consume. And that is my assumption. That is my mentality, that is my perspective. I go through life. Everything that I happen to get, everything that place is placed in my hands, oh, this is for me to consume. It's my assumption. And Jesus says that's what greed is. It's assuming everything is all about you and you consuming it in the belief that this is the way to have a blessed life, in a way to have a happier life. Jesus tells a story about a rich man over in Luke chapter 12. In fact, turn there with me. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. Jesus is walking along and he's teaching the crowds. And right out of the crowds, someone shouts out to Jesus and they ask him to settle a dispute. And there's these two family members and they're both accusing each other of being greedy. Hey, my family member over here being greedy. And the other say, no, no, no. He's being greedy. Jesus, will you arbitrate this for us? And then Jesus, in response, tells them a story, a parable. And he makes this parable up to to make a point. So so look at this. Luke 12, we'll walk our way through it. Verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Uh Uh-oh, fighting over the inheritance. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. The consumption assumption. That's what greed is. Assuming that everything is about you getting it and consuming it. He says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. That's the consumption assumption right there. And let's face it, you and I live in a society where we are brainwashed all the time to believe exactly this. Life consists in the abundance of possessions. If I can get more, if I can acquire more, if I can consume more, that's what life is about. And we're all tempted to think this way. And he told them a parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Now now, notice, Now, no, no, this, this could be you or me. Uh, this, this could be you or me. We're just middle class Americans. We, we have an abundant harvest. And we go, oh man, I, I'm doing well. I might even have some extra. And in verse 17, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Well, I have so much, hardly know what to do with it. So let's see what I'm going to do. So, okay, remember Jesus is making this story up so he can go any way he wants with it. But He's going the way he's going with it to make a point. And so let's put, put this in our, in our terms. He, he's a rich man, yielded an abundant harvest. Let, let, you know, let's say things are going well. You get your raise. You, you have some fresh income. You, you get the, the tax refund. You, your, your business is doing really well. Or you've been promoted. Now you're, you're making a whole lot more than you used to. You, you, and all of a sudden you're going, wow, I, I'm, I have an abundant harvest here. What am I going to do? Oh, verse 18, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Wow. So put yourself in, in, in His terms. You know, it's Sunday morning and you wake up. Uh, it's it's Saturday morning, let's say, and you wake up. And, and there's really no place to go. Uh, you don't have to work and and you know you have money in the bank and you have gas in the tank and and things things are just pretty good and you're thinking about what am I going to do wow you know I, how how am i going to spend my money how am i going to go to the movie theater am i going to go to a favorite restaurant and 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 you go wow you know life is good i think you know i'm even just retire early and i have plenty of brain laid up for many years i'm going to take life easy drink what what just just enjoy my life. And, and so the people listening to this story for the first time, and if you and I were listening to this story for the first time, you and I are tempted to think, wow, I like this Jesus guy. I like where he's going with this story because Jesus is teaching us a prosperity gospel here. You know, if I just have faith and I really got God, I'm going to have bigger barns and build bigger ones and I'm going to store up my grain and I'm going to have plenty and I'm going to take life easy, man. I'm going to eat, drink and be merry. I like this Jesus. I like where he's going. And then then you hear Jesus say this, verse 20, But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Oh, man, what a downer. Jesus, did you really have to end the story this way? Oh, that's right. Jesus is talking about those rich people. A rich man had an abundance. That's not me. <laughs> okay, so Jesus is talking about other people. He's not talking about me. Or is He? Could Jesus be talking about you and me in this parable? So, again, reflect. What is Jesus really saying? Is Jesus saying... That the night after we get that raise or that bonus, we're going to die? (laughs) What's he saying? Is he saying we should not store up anything? We should not plan ahead? Is it wrong to have a retirement account? Is, Is it wrong to go on a vacation or buy something nice? What is Jesus saying? When you really look at this, and you look at all that Jesus said, and the apostles as well, Jesus is saying, I want you to be aware of your... Consumption assumption. I want you to see your inherent tendency, your invisible tendency to greed. And he, this story is meant to get you and I thinking. So think about this: whenever you come into some extra money, what do you automatically wonder? What do you automatically think about? You go, "Oh, wow! How awesome!" Here's some money for the kingdom of God. I could give more to the church so that we can impact more kids for Christ. We could do more in the community and help the poor. Maybe I, could, maybe I could even give it to our mission in Honduras because we have friends, we know people by name who live in a little dirt shack the size of your bathroom. And they have dirt floor and don't even have any running water. And maybe I could take this money and that would be enough. You know, it's like five grand. And I build a house for a whole family that would change their life forever. Is that our first thought? Is that is that the, the kinds of things we think of? The, the moment our we our income level increases by whatever means? Or do we automatically think, wow, now I have more income coming in? What am I gonna do? I think I'm gonna get get a Bigger house. I'm going to get that big screen TV. My current TV is okay, but you know, I want the big screen TV now. And and, oh, maybe I'm going to buy some clothes. And I'm going to do. Jesus is saying, just be aware that we all have this consumption assumption that generally, when, when we have more, we want more. And we assume that anything placed in our hands is for us to consume. Even if it's extra, even if it's more than we really need, we just naturally think, you and I both, this is for me. What can I buy to make life even happier for me? This is why Jesus says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Now again, I don't want you to feel guilty because I know when we talk like this, and I honestly I I wrestle, you know, like I the Lord, am I handling my money? Am I handling my my possessions in a way that's pleasing to you? Because like, that's pretty challenging stuff, I know. But listen, Jesus doesn't want us to, to just go through life guilty and giving because, well, you know, I I guess I should do this. No, God, remember, God loves a cheerful giver. This is about grace, this is about going deeper in the gospel and and giving because you truly care and you love and you have a different kind of perspective i want to wrap this up with a third blood clot so the third blood clot is is a lack of a plan this will clog up your heart this will stop the flow of generosity in your life if you don't have a plan do you have a giving plan you should We should have budgets, and part of it, our budgets should be having a giving plan. And you say, do you mean God's really given us a map to the blessed kind of life, even relating to finances? Yes, he has. You see, the reason he's given us a map is because Jesus knows our tendency. Jesus knows that we tend to make excuses, such as, I'm not rich. So all these Bible verses about rich people, that doesn't apply to me. No, no, no. Because you know, rich by definition is someone who has at least twice what I have. So therefore, I'll never be rich, right? Because there's always somebody around who has more than me. It's like the word generous. What does generous mean? How do you define generous? Well, you know, I gave a dollar to a homeless person once like 20 years ago. That was generous, right? So I'm a generous person. You you see, it's fuzzy and it's a a moving target. So Jesus gives us a plan. God gives us a plan. We don't have time to unpack it all today. But I I just want to quickly outline it for you. And then we're going to move into communion. And then we even just have a brief baptism celebration right after that. So God's plan is this. It's 10, 10, 80. Everybody say this with me. 10, 10, 80. One more time. 10, 10, 80. You give 10%, you save 10%, and you simplify your life to live on the other 80%. You give 10, and notice it's first. You prioritize it. You give 10, you save 10 you you learn to live off of the 80 the 10 10 80 principle we'll get into next time the biblical support for this but but this is the path that that God has given us towards the blessed life remember it is more blessed to give than to receive do we believe it really and and how much should we give it is more blessed to give okay well how much do i have to give or how much do i get to give you know what's your mentality well a guideline is 10%. That's biblical definition of generosity. You know, you 10%, you save 10%, and you, you live off of the 80. And then Andy Stanley, I like how he puts it. He says there are three Ps uh, to, to generosity, three Ps. There's priority, percentage, and progressive. Priority, percentage, and progressive. Priority, Matthew 6.33. We discussed this at length last time. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That includes our finances. If you're not seeking first his kingdom in your finances, can you really say you're being a faithful disciple of Jesus? It's priority. Seek first his kingdom, not second. Jesus didn't say seek second the kingdom. Seek third the kingdom. Oh, you can give if, uh, you know, after you've done everything else you wanted to do, and if there happens to be anything left over, then you can maybe Seek the kingdom. No, seek first his kingdom. And so no matter how rich or poor you think you are, right now is the time to start this, to start to be generous. Actually, generosity is not dependent on your finances at all, how much or how little you have. The question is what are you doing with what you've got? You can be poor and generous, you can be poor and stingy, you can be rich and generous, you can be rich and stingy and stingy. It it, it doesn't matter. The, the, the raw dollar amount. It's what are you doing with what you have? Remember, the widow at the temple came by and put in two pennies into the temple offering. And Jesus said, This widow's given more than all the others. And the text says, Others were putting in large sums of money, but Jesus said, This woman's two pennies was more than all the others. Wow. Make it a priority. Percentage. Paul told the church at Corinth as they were collecting an offering, he said, set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Set it aside. In other words, you plan it, you prepare for it, you're intentional about it, and it's a percentage. And, and so if you're going, man, there is no way I could start with 10%. Just no way. Okay, start with five. And then you progress upward to as God prospers you. And that's the third P, progressive. Proverbs eleven twenty four. 24, give freely and become more wealthy, be stingy and lose everything. <laughs> Don't you love that? So if you have to start at 5% and then progress towards the 10. And you know what? For those of us who, who have been giving 10%, Sandy and I, we got married at the age of 19. We've been practicing the 10, 10, 80 principle our whole lives. 10, 10, 80. We did it when we were poor, poor college students and we've we've been doing that ever since. And, and here's a challenge for me. It's a challenge for you. Those of us who have been doing the 10, 10, 80 for a long, long time, maybe God has blessed you and, and over the years and you know, you've saved and, and everything is really pretty good. You just need to pray, reflect, and think about if God has really increased your income a lot, is 10% the limit? Or perhaps Jesus is saying, hey, don't buy into this consumption assumption. That it's everything placed in your hand is for you to consume. Maybe the reason God is blessing you so much, even financially and economically, is so that you can contribute more to the kingdom and to his purposes. And so maybe you say, you know what, I'm going to 11%. I'm going to 15%. I'm even going to 20%. Jesus says, don't store up treasure on earth, but store it up in heaven. Lay a a firm foundation for your eternal life.